This is a question, though, I, I wanted to ask because I recently, not recently, but when we first got our girls, had this experience uh, myself. I was in a coffee shop. Uh, we adopted our girls a little over five years ago, about five and a half years ago, and, and I was having the shock of parenting. We had a three and a six-year-old move into our home overnight, and so uh, maybe it was a little extra, maybe a little extra shock, I would believe. All of a sudden, I had two more humans in my house that I was taking care of, uh, just like that. And I was feeling really overwhelmed. And so I called a friend who uh, is a parent, and I just, I just need to meet. I need to see to talk, maybe say some like crazy things about how hard this is, and I don't know what I'm doing. So we met. We sat across from each other at a coffee shop, and I shared uh, how hard it was and things I was running into. And does he, did he have advice? Did I think I just needed to get that off my chest. And as I was sharing with him, it was really helpful. Um, uh, there was, we were sitting at a coffee shop where like the tables are really close, you know, where you're like aware of the people next to you, uh, where you wonder kind of like, are they listening? Well, this guy next to us was listening. And as I was sharing, uh, my heart with him and, and my friend was listening really well and just saying, yeah, man, I'm sorry. It is, it is hard. And, uh, you're doing a good job. And, uh, I had a guy lean over and he patted me on the shoulder and he said, Hey man, welcome to parenting. Sounds like your kids might need a little more discipline from their parents. And then, and then he just went back to his coffee. Like he just parachuted in, dropped that on me. Welcome to parenting, man. And then uh, looks like your kids need more discipline. You, how do you, you know me? Like instantly, right? I, uh, I tried to look up the appropriate picture. I found a few. I gave him a look. I assume that looked like one of these. Um, like, what? You don't know me? You just over you overheard my conversation, and your response was welcoming to welcome to parenting. And actually, uh, I, I didn't know this guy. We never actually talked after. I didn't know what to say to him. That would have been helpful. Um, and I was concerned that he had already heard in our conversation that I was a Christian. So I was worried what I was wanted to say to him might not be a good representation uh, <laughs> of of Jesus. So I didn't say anything to him. My friend was like, oh, "Don't worry about him." And we talked, and, and it was great. It was really helpful. Um, but I have had that experience over and over, actually. I think maybe all of us have had that in a moment when we share uh, real pain we're having, real, real suffering, and uh, maybe a friend isn't sure what to say, or it's easier to say, welcome to parenting. And so, like, you know, put on your big boy boots, right? And, uh, and in the moment, probably not the most helpful, right? At least for me and my experience, it's been very unhelpful. And today we're going to see... We're going to start looking into what that looks like. We're going to uh, look at what that looks like in, in the book of Job. So we've been in the book of Job for a few weeks, and we'll continue to be in for a few more weeks, looking at the story of this man named Job, the story of the man who was uh, considered the greatest in the East, we hear at the beginning of the book. He had everything, all the worldly things you could want, the power you could want, a family. He was faithful to God, and he very quickly loses everything. And we find him then sitting, suffering. And, we've, and we get to a point today where we actually get to see what it looks like for people to kind of start coming around him. And so Job is sitting, we find him uh, at the edge of town in what could be like a city dump on ashes, his, tors, his clothes torn, his head is shaved, he has sores over his whole body. He's falling apart. Within, within hours of his life, he went from everything the greatest in the East to nothing. Satan had come to make a point. 
We, we read in Job these scenes where we see Job's life and then we see Satan interacting with God saying, I think Job is the kind of guy who, uh, who, who only worships you because you give him stuff, because he's blessed. And so because he is so blessed, he worships you. But if you take it away, he's no longer blessed in that way. He will run from you. And so we actually see two times Satan goes to God and God says, I don't think that's the relationship I have with Job. And so Satan brings a lot of suffering to him, takes everything from him except for his life. And we find him sitting there now at this point, uh, suffering deeply. Uh, at this point, his wife has even come and, and, and called to him to curse God and die. And he's in a rough, rough spot. And so today we pick up that story in Job 2.11. If you have a Bible and want to open it, uh, or you can read along with us on the screen here. We're going to look at what it looks like uh, to have people come around him. So Job 2. And Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all his troubles. They had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. So he has three friends who uh, hear what's happened to him. And they actually get together, I think it's interesting, get together first, and they uh, are, are intentional about this. They decide we're gonna go together to sympathize with him and we're gonna comfort him. Our friend Job is in this terrible situation and suffering. Let's, uh, let's go to him, let's move towards him and let's care for him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. This is how bad the, this illness, these sores that were on his body. They could hardly recognize their friend. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They got together, they decided intentionally we're gonna to move towards Job to comfort him. And when they get there, I, I can't imagine they see not, not nearly what they thought they would see. Maybe Job was having a rough day. They heard maybe he was sick. They, they could hardly recognize him to a point where when they see their friend, their first response is to weep aloud, like out loud, cry out. And the first thing they do is they tear their robes and they sprinkle dust in their heads, which is a sign of mourning. Actually, a, a similar thing that Job did. So Job himself tore his clothes and put ash on his head uh, with his great amount of grief he was in, this mourning that he was doing, and they have the same response just by seeing their friend in it. They weep, they tear their clothes, they mourn with him. I think this is really interesting. They sit on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and, and they advise him on how to take next steps. You know, they, they said nothing to him. They sat for a week with Job and said nothing. And why did they say nothing? It says in the text, because they saw how great his suffering was. They acknowledge he is suffering at such a level that right now the, the best thing to do is to just be with him. It's, I think that's interesting, right? They didn't take time to try to fix his problem. Uh, we're we're going to see that happen now as we move along. They're going to try to figure out why this is happening to him uh, and give some not so helpful advice. But at this point, they're just sitting with him, not fixing it. 
being very uncomfortable with him. They have to have had things to do, other lives to be a part of. At this point, it was more important for them to sit with their suffering friend. And the best way to help him was to just be with him. So I think the first thing that we, as we're on this road with Job, we see his friends, I think, give us a really helpful and important lesson here. And that is understanding the difference between being with and fixing. And when, and the importance of being a person of presence with someone. What does it look like just to be with someone and not fix their situation or them? For me, this is really difficult. This is really difficult in my house when someone is having a problem in my house to not say, let's make a plan, let's fix this, let's do this, let's do this. I learned this probably within minutes of being married. I, uh, I thought, I remember someone sitting me down saying, uh, don't try to fix everything, just be with Kelly. I said like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can just sit there. I can just sit there and hold her hand. And I remember uh, ha- having a conversation uh, about family that tends sometimes to be a source of suffering, at least in our house. Uh, I think in all people's houses, right? Some relationship stuff. And saying, oh, here's how we do this. And we made a plan. I might have even chart. I might have like whiteboarded a whole scenario. When I turned around, you know, from the whiteboard, she's giving me a look, the are you serious look. Uh, like, oh, I like, clicked. Oh, that's why that old guy told me to not say anything. <laughs> to just listen, to just be. But I, I mean, this is always hard. I don't know if this ever gets easier. I want to fix things. I want to make things right. And actually in that moment, uh, often the best thing to do is to sit and to be good listeners. It wasn't that many weeks ago we were talking about what does it look like to be a good neighbor and being a good neighbor and loving your neighbor and listening is a huge part of that. And so listening and sitting and I think being uncomfortable with a person is really important. Being uncomfortable is part of the reason why I want to fix it. I don't necessarily even want to actually fix the problem. I just don't want it to be awkward. I don't want to like sit with someone who's crying because that feels weird, especially if you're in public and people are looking, right? You're like, hey, just stop crying, just stop crying, just stop crying. It's going to be okay. Can I get you something that will make it okay? I think there's something about being uncomfortable, entering in suffering with someone, being present, willing to t- tear our clothes and put ash on our heads and mourn with a person and just let them say what they need to say or maybe not say anything. Um, there are people I think that it's easier for me to sit with. There's people who are a lot harder for me to sit with. People I might think that I know more than them. And so I feel like in that moment I get to teach them something. I think I have great advice to solve their problem. It's really hard sometimes to sit with someone be with someone when I know that the reason they're suffering is because of their own choice and say, oh, really? Maybe you shouldn't have done that thing and you wouldn't be suffering right now. Or maybe it's because I caused the pain. It's really hard to sit with someone and hear how I'm the one who caused the pain. Or maybe they don't even, aren't aware that I'm the one who caused the pain, but to hear them share about their pain. John Perkins is a guy I really uh, admire and uh, he shares about this when interviewed uh, uh, recently about what, what does it look like in our culture for us to start seeing actual reconciliation between uh, different people in our culture, especially different races of people in our culture. So they're asking him, what does it look like for people to, uh, to really start to love each other? And, and this is a, one of his answers in his interview. As we listen to each other and share our differences not in a violent way, looking for and believing that our mutual understanding comes first. Asking 
Where does your pain come from? Where are you hurting? And I give you your pain. And I say that you're hurting. And you give me my pain. And we say that we're hurting. Just say, yeah, you are hurting. Franz Fanon, who was a mid-20th century Algerian uh, psychiatrist, said the oppressed would have come to the place in a way that they can tell the oppressor, you're oppressing me. And the, oppress is, and the oppressor is open and hears that person. There's that causing, me causing pain and being willing to hear you're the one causing pain. He goes on. This is the part I want us to hear. That's the language, the dialogue you've got to create. You've got to create a language where we really hear each other, where we feel each other's pain. And I think Jesus would say that's a language of love. That would mean that we have to sit down and reason together, that we must have this conversation, that we must listen to each other. We've got to be close enough to the situation that we can listen to the pain. So Christians have to be present, be there. I'm hoping and praying that this will create a deeper conversation. If we want to bring unity in our world, in our communities, even just in our circles, uh, we have to be willing to sit down and listen to people's pain and even enter into the pain with them. We have this huge opportunity here, especially with people who are different from us. This, in my own uh, story, this has been really, really important. In fact, I uh, was with uh, a few years ago at the same church planning conference in Florida, was with uh, some friends and uh, was with a gentleman who was planted a bunch of churches and I really respect and we were talking about church planting and I was saying, we're starting to pray about starting this church in Columbia Heights where we live. And uh, I said, and, and uh, there's people in my community that I really want to connect to and I really want to help them know Jesus and they're people who are, don't look like me. I don't come from the same background as me. And I'm not sure what to do. And I said, what's my first steps? What kind of program should we create uh, so that the people in my community who aren't white, middle-class, 30-something-year-old men, who, like, who, how do I connect to these people? And he said, uh, you just need to shut your mouth and listen. And then he walked away. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> that was not helpful. <laughs> Uh, and actually later that night, I was talking to some friends and uh, someone else had asked him the same question. Hey, we really respect you. Help us figure this out. He's, he's been helping churches uh, in our networks figure this out. And, uh, and he said, you know what he told me to do? He told me to shut my mouth and listen. And then he walked away. How am I supposed to listen to him when he, <laughs> when he walks away? I said, he told me the same thing. To just shut my mouth. How rude is that? <laughs> listen. And then we start talking ourselves. And I start putting that together with lots of other things I'm learning at the time and even things I'm learning as a dad uh, of African-American girls who are uh, hearing even their stories and learning more stories. And uh, I remember sitting late at night in a, in a pool, uh, really suffering uh, in Florida and thinking, uh, oh, he means like to people, not to, not to him in that moment. It really, it really hit me, I thought. I think I need to start with listening and maybe not figuring out more programs or more ways to do this well. Um, and that's been a journey for me, just sitting down, just hearing people's pain, what, it, what it's like to be a black man in America and the history that he has and his family has and his, his great-grandparents have. And hearing that pain has been so, so helpful for me to understand and, and try the little I can to enter into that. 
pain. So we, we have this opportunity, friends, to do this, to be people who enter in, not just for those around us, but maybe people we normally don't enter into to hear their pain. And so that's what we get to do in the book of Job now. His friends are sitting with him, and then Job now decides to share how he's doing and share his pain. And the whole chapter uh, of chapter three is him sharing his pain. And before this, we've heard Job say, uh, bless the Lord, he gives and takes away. And we have these verses that we love to like put on walls in our houses. You know, whatever happens, God's good. Bless the Lord. And now we get to hear after that, I, I think that after the initial kind of uh, moment of that suffering, we get to hear Job's, what he's really processing, how he's really feeling. And this beginning of this feels a bit shocking, I think. Uh, and so we get to sit across from Job and hear his thoughts. Listen to how he starts. After this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And here's what he said. May the day of my birth perish and the night that said, a boy is conceived that day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered into any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse the days curse that day, those who are all ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. He wishes he was never born. That day never happened. Why did, I, why did I not perish at birth and die as I come from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I'd be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins. With princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, and why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there is weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. He wishes he was dead. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure. Who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, who God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I fear has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. These seem like uh, words very different than what we heard before from Job. He, he writes this, he, he speaks this beautiful poem about darkness and that he wishes he was dead. I mean, that, have you felt that suffering before in, in life? Have you been in a place where you just say, I wish I was dead. Why was I even born, God? 
He says these very honest words, and I love that these words are in Scripture, that we see this man suffer in this way, still faithfully connected to God, but able to honestly share these really deep words of pain. We, we actually see this is okay to do, that God is okay with our sincerity. In fact, he delights in it. We hear in Psalm 62.8, pour out your hearts to him. God isn't threatened by this. Uh, we, we don't see after this that God says like, oh, Job, those are not appropriate words. Those are bad words. Um, we don't use those kind of words in our house. <laughs> right? We don't, we don't see Job's friends at this point say, oh, no, you do have peace. You say you have no peace. Stop, stop. There's peace. No quietness. Oh, it could be quiet. Could we help you? Maybe we could, like, uh, give you some noise-canceling headphones and uh, get you a nice bed to lay on, like, really let you relax, give you that rest. There is rest, Job. There's rest in the Lord. Stop talking. There's rest in the Lord. You're, you're saying crazy things now, Job. We see Job share honestly, really what's from his heart. Pour out his heart to how he feels. He... He has to feel this way. He's laying, he's laying in ashes. His body is falling apart, waiting to die, saying, I wish I, I was never born. I wish I was dead. It's, it's really good news that we hear that God can handle these words. He prefers to hear your honest words. He actually knows your heart. So these are congruent with, with who you are. Actually shows your integrity by honestly opening up and, and crying out, to God, and not only to God, but his friends are there with him. His friends hear these words. We actually see this happen um, in, all over scripture. We hear this uh, in Psalm 88. In fact, I'm gonna, I want to read Psalm 88 to you because it's a very similar. Um, I want to read to you, but I'm not going to show you the words. I just want you to hear the words. Imagine you're sitting across from a friend and you're hearing these words. You say, you take a breath, you hold your coffee, how you doing? And you let your friend share and you're with them. And they say the words of Psalm 88. Listen to these words. Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with your waves. You have taken, me, me, uh, you have taken from me my closest friends, and you have made me repulsive to them. I am confined. I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do your spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me and your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. 
darkness is my closest friend. Have you felt like that? Have you ever felt that phrase, darkness being your closest friend? Maybe just for a moment. I felt that on a, a moment on a drive home when the, all of the, the pain from the day comes together or the realities of the day come together. I felt that uh, at night after my kids go to bed and I can take a breath of what's actually happening. I feel like is darkness my only friend? I feel tired and alone. Maybe after a fight with a spouse or a friend, or maybe you feel like you live in that a lot. That is the normal state, alone. The only friend you have is darkness. Thankfully, we know that that isn't true. Thankfully, we have friends who we can share that with, and they can remind us uh, after sitting seven, maybe seven days, seven nights with us, they can remind us. And thankfully, we have the word of God that reminds us that that isn't true. That darkness isn't our closest friend. In fact, our closest friend is called light, who comes into the world and can't be overwhelmed by darkness, who didn't leave us in the darkness as our only friend, who listened to our calls for salvation and rescue from sin and death. And not only did Jesus come to rescue us, to bring light to darkness, to bring us into his family, but he came to suffer with us and for us. And this is the good news today I want us to leave with, that we have a God that not only is our friend, but understands our suffering. So when we sit in our pain, he is with us and he actually knows exactly what that feels like. He, he can not only tear his clothes and put ash in his head, but he's right there with us, understands our suffering. And we hear this in Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, we might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he, <clears throat> he had to be made like them, like us, human, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because for himself, for he himself suffered when he was tempted and is able to help those who are being tempted. This speaks of Jesus who became human in order to rescue us, that he would suffer in our place, that we had been sentenced to death and we were on our death march to be executed. And he stepped in the way and pushed us aside and said, I will take that suffering for them. I will pay for their crimes against God, their disobedience and worship of other gods. And he took their death sentence. And he stepped in and he suffered for all of us. Can you imagine the suffering of all of our suffering combined on Jesus. That's what we hear in this passage. He, he made atonement for us. So something else stepping in the way of paying for that sin that we should be, should be paying for. He stepped in there and did that for us. And he suffered exactly as we were supposed to suffer. He took all of our pain on him. And that suffering that the devil brought in sin and death that enslaved us is no longer over us. Satan who caused Job to suffer so severely has been defeated and holds no power. And, and our God is a God who can sit with us and know the suffering that we're, we have. He isn't a distant God sitting on a throne on a mountain. He 
He's a God who's with us and, and says, I, I know what that's like. I've suffered and he can, can be close to us. Our closest friend can be light. And so we can look to Job and his suffering, but we must look past Job to Christ and his suffering and know that he suffers with us. And the good news is we have a God who's willing to suffer for us and sympathize with us and listen to us and weep with us. And one day he'll return to put an end to that suffering and that pain. And we no longer will have to sit in ash, sick, waiting to die, seeing those around us suffer. Because of Christ, we one day will get to end, see suffering end and be with Christ. As we did last week, I wanted to highlight someone in our church for you to get to know. Um, and also hear uh, is this exact thing. Hear what it looks like to suffer right now. So I'm going to invite uh, David, who uh, was willing to step in and do announcements for us today. He's going to come up here. David has been a friend. Uh, you can come up. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you while I'm going to talk while you walk up. There's a steps over here. Thanks. <laughs> we didn't coordinate that. <laughs> um, David has been a friend of our families for many years. Uh, we uh, stumbled into a tradition in our family. His birthday is Valentine's Day. And uh, so uh, we have Valentine's Day every year with David and our girls. Uh, and so uh, he's, a, he's been very faithful to our church here. Um, you ready? I have a little slide for you. Oh. I'll show you where to sit right there. <laughs> that's, that's David. Uh, uh, he's someone who is, uh, I think, slow to give advice. I'll take one of these two. It'll feel a little more natural. Do you have an arrow, too? No. Do they, you have an arrow? People, they might know who I am. Uh, this is Drew. David has been uh, one who's been, he's very slow to give advice. In fact, he's a friend who I might go to and, and share some suffering. And then I like wait for, and he says, man, that's got to be hard. And then he like will give me the, I was like, oh, no advice. <laughs> and he'll say, no. oh, I have lots of advice. I just have learned not to share it. <laughs> He just shuts his mouth and he listens. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's, been, he's been a huge servant here in our church in the first uh, six, seven weeks. Uh, he's one of the first people to walk in and say, is there somewhere I need help? He's been one of the, the first people to jump in and help with kids when someone's been sick and couldn't lead a class. As you heard, he actually uh, is, is one of our uh, yellow class. I don't even know what ages they are. I should know what ages. <laughs> You're a great teacher. <clears throat> I'm a great teacher. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think they're like kindergarten to fifth grade, six to 11, 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> he's a great teacher. Uh, anyway, he, he's been really faithful here. But uh, in all of that, David has uh, recently suffered uh, in a very unique way in his family. And we've got to journey with him in that. But I think it'd be helpful for us to hear a little bit of that story. And we want an opportunity to pray for you. So. Uh, would you share a little bit of just recently with your, especially with your mom and your family, what you've been going through? Yeah, uh, so I guess it started about two years ago. Um, uh, my mom, we uh, realized something was going on. As My dad noticed it, and we noticed it too, that she was forgetting things more often. And, uh, and, um, and so then about two years ago, in the, around this time, she got diagnosed with uh, dementia, um, and, um, and then about six months after that, it was diagnosed, she was diagnosed with uh, early onset Alzheimer's. Um, and uh, she's about 65 right now, I'm 34. And uh, by, then six months later, that December, um, that was the first time when, 
like at home with Christmas is I, I remember her like looking at our pictures and she being like, oh, like what, what sweet, uh, sweet looking kids, uh, who are they? And I was like, oh, mom, like that's, that's your kids. Um, and so she, she's progressed really rapidly. Um, and then this past year, um, I've just been able to, I've learned a lot through it, but she continues to decline really rapidly and to where uh, I have to help her brush her teeth now and button up her shirt. And she often has no idea who I am or who my dad is or my sisters. And um, so it's been really tough uh, losing my mom that way uh, because sometimes she'll be there and she'll know, you know, but then the next, you know, you, you, you go and get something from a cupboard and she'll be like, who are you? And she's like, no, really, who are you? And it's like, oh, or she'll look at pictures on the fridge that we have pictures everywhere now of uh, all of us. And I'll have to like, I just broke down this. I, I see her every Tuesday. I go and just care for her for the day. And um, having like walk through like, this is Rebecca, your oldest. This is Abby. Like, that's me. She's like looking, like trying to figure out if that's true or not. And, and I was like, and that's Anna, your youngest. And um, so we've, that's just been really tough. Because uh, you don't expect that, I think. You know, I think... I like, I think I expect it when, when, when she's going to be like 90 or something, you know, like Lord willing, if she <laughs> gets to be, live that long, but not when she's uh, like 65. I know my dad, that wasn't his dream for the retirement, you know? Yeah. So that's what, what I've been walking through. What, um, what things have you, I mean, we just read these passage from Job and from Psalm 88. What kind of words have you felt like maybe you thought or said out loud things you've thought about, uh, anger you've had towards God or uh, the way, you've, way you view God or yourself in this? Yeah, um, I think I think one of the things that's been helpful is um, having friends who understand, like a little bit later in, in Job, Job mentions this phrase, he's like my, my like words for the wind or my words are full of wind, kind of like uh, lots of Lots of lots of content, not a lot of. Uh, um, they're just I don't know. They're just meaningless, I guess. And so, like being able to like kind of express anger or sadness around friends who realize like this isn't really David. I don't know. Or like I don't know. There, it's not really me. It's not really what I think. But like in the moment of expressing all that. Um, but yeah, no. I think there's definitely been. Uh, I think more just like confusion when I think about, and no, definitely some anger, anger towards different members of family and um, anger towards God of like, because my mom has not had a very easy life at all. Um, just grew up very poor with 10 brothers and sisters and just first generation Christian and just, just a lot that has gone on. And um, yeah, it's been a, Sorry, my mind thinks a lot faster than my mouth can speak. So in my mind, I'm like, that's a great point. And then I don't share it at all. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I don't know if that answers your question or not. How, is it, how has it shaped your view of yourself even? Have you, has it affected things that are true or not true? But has it shaped how you think, how, even how God thinks about you? Um, or your mom? 
Well, I know that my mom, I know that God loves my mom. I know that just like all of us, it doesn't, like you have to be reminded of that. Um, um, no, like I'm, con- I'm, con- I don't know. I'm, I, I've learned some, I don't know how to answer that. I guess, has it shaped my view of me? I think I've just gotten swept up into it. And, and so I think it's, it's hard. For, I don't know if I, I'm like in it. So it's like hard for me to like take a step back and like, I think that's what's hard. Like, and you like look back and two years have gone by so quick. I think I realized, um, at the beginning of this year, like looking back over the last 2019, I did not, it was not a fun year. And just realizing like, oh, I think I'm depressed. Because <laughs> I'm like, I think I should be taking, you know, showers more than like twice a week or something like that. Or, you know, sometimes once a week. And, and just like seeing, and I've struggled with depression a lot in my life. And so has my mom. And um, I don't know, but God meets us there. In, in those times, and I know he still loves me. I, one of the things I've learned is, um, is this how much God's presence is felt near the vulnerable? Um, it's one of the reasons I love working with kids so much recently is, like, I would have, if you would have asked me, like, where's God's presence felt? I thought it'd be, like, in a worship service with great music and, and like, and reading through the scriptures with Elisha and Jesus and seeing, like, when God shows up, it's usually near those who are like hurting and are sad or are scared or um, are just very vulnerable and like his presence. And so um, that's shaped, that's shaped the way how I view like going to minister or like going to care for my mom. I think I was really, I didn't like going to see her in the beginning because it's just a reminder of like, you know, like it's just pain. Like, there's my mom, and she doesn't know who I am. Or um, she'll, she'll look at me, and she'll be like, oh, like, you, re- you look very familiar. You remind me of Buddy Bud. And that's her, my grandpa's name um, was Bud, Bud Lee. And so she called me Buddy Bud growing up as a kid. And so she still calls me that. And so um, she's like, oh, you look, you look familiar like Buddy Bud. And I'm like, oh, I am. Um, so um, I, I didn't want to go to that at all. Like, the first year it was happening. And... Um, but learning that about God, how he's near the vulnerable, like I realized it, it shifted. And so now it's like, okay, a 30, 40 minute drive there and back or there one way. And like, it's no longer just to like go and enter pain and suffer. Like it's more of like, I get to go and in, into the very presence of God because he's there and, it, and, he's, and he's ministering like through me to her and, and through her to me. I'm learning a lot from it because um, I'll ask her questions about, I don't know, different things. And there's a great, I don't know, this is, she'll like have these, this little truisms that I've never heard her say before. But one thing she recently, she's like, anyone can, like anyone can find a piece of lint on a jacket. And just like talking about criticism. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's a great, I'm going to use that. Like, yeah, you're right. Like anyone can always find something to be critical. Or I'm just like, I don't understand life. And she's like, David, no one does. (laughs) I'm like, all right. Yeah, there's lots of, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've learned a lot. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'd like to just, if we could pray for you, your family, um, as we continue here to worship. So if you pray with me, um, this might be awkward, but I'd love for you to reach out a hand. Since we can't gather around David, I'll put a hand on him. But if you reach out a hand and uh, pray for his family. And what's your mom's name again? 
Uh, mom's name is Barb. Barb. Uh, my dad's name is Bernie. Barb and Bernie. Yeah. You can pray for them. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you are good, and it's hard to say that uh, sometimes. It fe- doesn't feel uh, good, but it's true. And uh, we pray for a great presence with Barb and Bernie right now and with David and his family as they care for her. Pray they continue to cling to you. I pray you continue to teach them these great truths as they experience great pain and suffering. That you would make yourself known. We thank you for for David, his willingness to share, and I pray that we would be able to enter in with him and suffer with him, uh, and in all this, you would just draw us close uh, to you that we could uh, continue to, to cling to you and we're thankful that you understand the suffering and that you're with us. You are good. You're really good. We thank you for this and for a future that is good and there will no longer be suffering. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks. You, can give, you can give him a little clap. Thanks for sharing, David. You don't always know what to do after, after that. Um, we're going to enter into a time uh, continuing to worship and responding. Um, this is a time that uh, we can do a few different things. One of them is to consider the questions. There's questions on your, on your sheet here. Um, just questions that are, are spurred from our, our, uh, our teaching today. Do you know who Jesus is? Uh, who's the one who's with you and shares pain with you? If you don't know this Jesus, we would love to share more about that. Um, with you. Do you view God, how do you view God when he seems to be, uh, when darkness seems to be your closest friend? It's a good thing to think through this week. I, I, I even encourage you this week to just spend some time sharing your heart with God, like actually sharing your heart, not being afraid to hold back or you're going to say the wrong thing or say the words that aren't okay, that God can handle that. And it's really important that we're, we're honest with him. I encourage you just to do that. Maybe do that even with a friend. And I also encourage you this week to to uh, think about how you'll respond when someone needs to share their pain this week. That might be a, a, a quick moment, and I pray that this moment, some of us might even get some uh, more significant moments. Someone needs to share pain, and we get to be the ones that God's going to put in there to be with them and even show that, that presence of God with them. So we're going to take an opportunity to respond now. Our, our uh, worship team's going to lead us in some music. First, we have an opportunity to take communion where we remember Christ who did come, a uh, human form and did die and suffer, but then rose, defeating death. And so we have communion tables in the back uh, and on the side. There's a gluten-free option over on this side. Um, encourage you to do that. At those stations, there's also someone who's available to pray for you. So if you just need prayer, uh, just stop. You don't have to say anything. Just look at them. They'll pray for you. They have a, a yellow lanyard on. Also, there's an opportunity to sing and, and together. Maybe just sit and pray. Um, also, you have an opportunity to give as a response to the gospel. Um, as we always do, just as people with grateful hearts. You can do that online or, or at the communion table back here. So let me pray, and uh, we can enter in this time to respond to the good news. Lord, uh, again, you're good. We love you, and I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts, different ways, but in all ways drawing us to you. In this time uh, of response, and we would respond to you in our singing and our uh, taking of communion and our our willingness to give. I ask now that you'd work in our hearts, that you draw close, and that uh, you as light of the world would be our closest friend and we would feel your presence.
We pray this in your name. Amen.